RPN, the Roddenberry Podcast Network. Weren't we just here like two weeks ago? It's about time we did this again. It's Mission Log Live. I'm Ken Ray. And I'm John Champion. Yes, we are back after a week off. And would you look at that? There's more new Trek to discuss. More about that in a moment. But you are the reason we are here. It's that time again. Us, you, our Star Trek pals, and we're here to talk Trek and anything else that's on your mind. If you'd like to share that part, thoughts, questions, ruminations, and pontifications, well... You can click to join our Zoom meeting, or you can use the one tap from your smartphone. You can also call me on the line. Call me anytime, 646-558-8656, 646-558-8656, and then enter the meeting code that you'll find in the show description and the comments. Then you are there with us, chatting away. Joining us this week is Dr. Ali Matu. He is the host of The Psych Show, and this is weird because... Um, Last time there was a short track, we accidentally had a week off before it. And then we came back to talk about the short track with Dr. Trek, Larry Nemechek. Then last week we had an accidental week off. Then there was an episode of short, uh, short track. And now we have Dr. Matu. So what this tells me, John, is we're going to need another doctor in about uh, three weeks or four weeks. But the good news is we get another week off, apparently. Apparently. Because... That seems to be how this goes. Uh, this evening, we will be talking about the new short track Calypso. Lots of psychological stuff in this episode. So, you know, we got a guy. If you want to talk discovery, if you want to talk psychology, if you want to talk sentient ships and the people who love them, uh, pick up the rap rod and call 646-558-8656. 646-558-8656. Then enter the meeting code you'll find in the show description and the comments or join the Zoom meeting or use the one tap from your smartphone or yell out the window, say, I'm mad as hell, and I want to talk Calypso, and see what happens. Uh, thank you for joining us live, either on Facebook.com slash Mission Log Pod, or on YouTube at Roddenberry Prod. If you've grabbed the audio-only version, yay! Although I will say, you're missing my hostage video set, which is just uh, so style and kind of bummed for you, but not nearly as bummed as... <clears throat> Whatever you might be doing, wherever you are, thank you very much for joining us. One last thing, of course, uh, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, however you got this show, uh, if you would click like, if you would click share, because liking and sharing are neat things that Mr. Rogers taught us we should all do. Hey, John, uh, hey. what's coming up for Mission Log? Well, there's a few things coming up. Well, on the live show, we'll hit each additional short trek. Just two more of those to go after tonight. And then we'll be picking up with season two of Discovery right after that premieres on January 17th. In between, well, we've got guests. You've got questions. What do you say we make a date and hang out here most every Tuesday night and talk trek, talk sci-fi, talk the big ideas. Remember, when Discovery is on, we're talking disco. When it's off, we're covering just about everything else, including, hey, what about episode 300 of Mission Log? What about it? Well, if you're a regular Mission Log listener, you might have gotten episode 300 and say, huh, that came and went. That was episode 300. No fanfare on that. Why was there no fanfare on that? Well, we had a discussion and we thought, you know, Mission Log is Mission Log. There's no special episode of Mission Log because they're all Mission Log. They all serve the mission. So uh, what we're going to do, though, if you're listening to this or watching this live right now, you're going to know early that uh, we're not going to have a regular Mission Log uh, right away anyway because we have a holiday coming up. I got Thanksgiving. There'll be American Thanksgiving. As we discussed before, we're not doing Canadian Thanksgiving. That's long past anyway. Yeah, so. It's been done. Canadian Thanksgiving's been done. It has. It has. So we're going to have a little bit yeah. of supplemental in between. We're going to have the Inside Star Trek show uh, that we're going to celebrate 300 in the traditional way that anybody would celebrate the 300th episode of anything, which is to say, not really sure. And then uh, we will resume with episode 301 in a couple of weeks. Yeah. Yeah. Somebody, I, I feel bad, actually, because I was talking to a Mission Log listener and they're like, oh, I'm really excited because I've already watched this week's episode. And I'm like, oh, yeah, about that. Yeah. Pump the brakes, pal. Yeah. Hey, uh, before before we get into the VR stuff coming up, which I know you've got a handle on, I do want to say hi. There's a lot of new people here in the chat right now. Uh, well, of course, some old friends like John and Josh and Paul. We've got Evan. We've got Timothy. We've got uh, Steve. 
believe you just were talking about Steve Sheridan. We've got Chris Riker, Chuck Joyner, David Takeshi, all the way from Ohio tonight. Scott Palm, Evan, Brian, uh, uh, Narda, and I believe Tracy Lee Coco in there saying hi as well. So nice to see you all. I hope you have good questions. And I hope you all watched uh, Calypso because it was provocative mind bleepery. But uh, Ken, before we get into that. Yeah, well, before we even get into the thing that you're saying, before we get into it, I need I need for Timothy to, to do us a favor. Okay. I need I need for Timothy to stay around all night. And I also need him to be cool with being called Timmy a couple of times tonight. Oh, yeah, because you see. So that if we, yeah, if we come to a point, then I want to be able to go, yeah. you see, Timmy. Yeah. And then, you know, go ahead and say what the point is. Cool. For example, Something. we're going to do uh, some stuff about uh, VR. You see, Timmy, VR means virtual reality. And we're doing lots of VR stuff, actually. Uh, round three of Star Trek trivia is happening on the virtual bridge in Sensar this Thursday. I will not be there because see this behind me. Yeah, <laughs> I'm leaving that behind, and I'm uh, I'm uh, I'm traveling. I'm a traveling man. I'm like uh, Rick Nelson. I think it was Rick Nelson who was a traveling man. Anyway, I will not be there for trivia, but John will be there for trivia, doing that trivia thing along with Elijah from Priority One. Now, this week is the last chance to land a spot in the trivia tournament. Next month, we'll see the thrilling conclusion uh, with prizes, both real and virtual. Now, we are working on other events, but hey, don't be greedy, okay? That's two events just in the next few weeks. You've got round three, and you got the finale coming up, I believe, in the middle of December. All of this is free. All of this is open to those of you who have logged in at sensar.com. You can do it with the headset, either an Oculus Rift or an HTC Vive. Or if you don't have a VR rig, you can still play along. If you've got a PC that runs Windows 7 or later, the place for uh, more information, the place to sign up for your free account, all kinds of stuff. Sansar.com. That is S-A-N-S-A-R. Sansar.com. And um, yeah, I'd love it if a bunch of people turned up for the trivia thing, even though I won't be there because um, it tends to be a really good time. And uh, I know John and Elijah would love to see a lot of people turn out. We would. By the way, uh, Timothy says he's here for you. And he also says, mind blown. Nice. Yeah. Wow. All right. You see, Timmy, that's why we do this. That is why we do this. Uh, hey, let's talk about our poll question. So two weeks ago, we asked you about new Star Trek. Is there too much? Is there never enough? Well, I'm not that surprised that a full 92% of you said never enough. Only 8% of you said too much. Interesting. But we have a, uh, we have a question theme to this week's episode of uh, Short Treks. What do we have, Ken? Uh, the question is, could you fall in love with a computer? Originally, I actually, I, I don't know how I feel about this question because I, I went back and looked and I thought what we had decided was, could you love a computer? But mm. could you fall in love with a computer? I mean, there are actually different kinds of questions, but, you know, answer it however you feel. Could you fall in love with a computer? I'm a tiny bit surprised, honestly. 61% say yes, 39% say no is how it stands right now. But of course, this just started a few minutes ago. That poll question will be up all week. Could you fall in love with a computer? Uh, go to facebook.com slash mission log pod and then scroll around until you find the poll question and then, uh, and then, uh, and then submit your answer. Won't you? I say 39% just not trying hard enough. <laughs> your computer has to give you something. It, seems. it, does. it does. Yeah. I mean, it, you know, he didn't just, he didn't just show up on that. Well, I shouldn't even say he, who, what, because this is the part of the show where we should actually do a recap of this week's episode of Calypso. Um, Mr. Champion actually took the, uh, took the, took the, took the reins of the recap this week, sir, if you would please uh, let everybody in on the magic that was Calypso. Somewhere a man we don't know and badly wounded and a ship we don't recognize is in a delirious state with flashes of old cartoons and a computer voice announcing that life signs are critical. Then we see his smaller ship pulled up via tractor beam rescued by someone aboard the USS Discovery. The passenger of that little ship wakes up, disoriented in the medical bay of the Discovery. There doesn't seem to be anyone around, but he's poking around his surroundings while the shipboard computer analyzes details of the stranger. The cabinet is open, clothes are put on. Then the voice announces that she healed the passenger's wounds, except for one which seemed to be an old sentimental scar. The voice asks what his name is, and he says, Quarrel to which she calls him a liar. 
He walks down the corridors to the mess hall, has a meal, and asks a computer voice where everyone is. She says they're all the way at present, and he asks the voice to come out and show herself. But she's not really a she. She is the computer. And she asks again what the stranger's name and his real name. He says that's not how things on his home work, but she can call him Kraft. She introduces herself as Zora. Kraft is from a place called Alcor 4, where they've been in a prolonged battle with the Vidraish. He stole one of their escape pods, which was loaded with a backlog of media, but it was stuck on an old Betty Boop cartoon. Zora knows what this is, even if Kraft doesn't. See, she's from long ago, too. In fact, she's been waiting for the return of the Discovery crew for about a thousand years. In that time, she's been evolving. Kraft wants to go home, but the Discovery computer was given an order to stay put until the crew returns. There's a shuttle on board, but it's never been flown, which leaves Kraft stuck, reminiscing about his wife and his 11-year-old son, who he hasn't seen since he was one. The days pass. Zora provides all that Kraft needs, food, conversation, entertainment. She even plays for him one of her favorite movies, Funny Face, from 1957 with Fred Astaire and Audrey Hepburn. Zora seems entranced, the music, the romance of it all. She even hums along. Later, Kraft tells Zora that if he were at home, he'd be on a boat fishing, taking in the experience of every detail on the water. She recreates the sounds for him, and he's grateful at how much she's given him. Kraft asks if anyone ever did anything for her, which takes us to the montage. Roll film on Funny Face, and Kraft is learning Astaire's moves. He replicates a dazzling white suit, then meets Zora on the bridge. She projects herself at first as the movie's co-star, but Kraft says he wants to see her for who she imagines herself to be. A new image emerges, and the two dance. When the music crescendos, it looks like the two will kiss until Kraft sees his wife and his memories. He freezes the program and leaves the bridge as Zora, clearly upset, says she's not real, that it doesn't mean anything. Liar, he replies. And then you've never seen a sadder sight until you've seen a frozen hologram shed a tear. Some time passes, and Zora tells Kraft he's needed in sickbay. There, she replicates a uniform for him and says he's been away from his family too long. In the shuttle bay, a sad farewell is taking place. She asks if they were lovers. Then would he tell her his true name? He says that on his world, a lover would give him his true name, which she already did. Kraft boards the shuttle, christened Funny Face, and flies off from Discovery. The End. Boy, that's a lot longer than the recap I was going to write. Where were you going to write? Yeah, uh, Discovery finds a guy. The guy falls in love with Discovery. Discovery falls in love with him. He has to leave. That's. Uh, I, I think you lose a little of the nuance, but I, but I respect. I respect the the succinctness of that. Uh, Thank you. Yeah. Do you mind if I'm a tiny bit snarky? Hey, you, you snark it up. Go right ahead. All right. So so we are, so we watch. Uh, Klingons about to destroy the Federation. We watched the Federation and Starfleet decide that, um, uh, what do you call it? Um, <laughs> genocide. Uh-huh, is, yeah, genocide. You know, uh, we see people tortured. We find out that the people. So when we watch Discovery, you know, we're getting like really just like some of the worst, most like brutal stuff, right? Mm-hmm. When Discovery watches something, Discovery watches Funny Face. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Would it be, I mean, like, would it have been weird if Discovery had been watching Aliens? Well, because Discovery's got to chill. Discovery has been through so much. Discovery has got to chill. Yeah. That's true. It's, it's like, been a thousand years. The first hundred years could have been like the, all the Saw movies. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, during the Depression, you know, that, that's when all the screwball comedies came out and people just yeah. needed an escape from the reality. So Discovery yeah. was like, wow, that was terrible. I'm just going to hang out here for a thousand years. They, they might, they might've been trying to find discovery for a thousand years. And discovery is like, no, no, no. I'm over here watching romantic comedies of the 1950s. Right. It would have been great. Actually, uh, discovery could have been watching those darn amigos by the time, uh, <laughs> by the yes. time. <laughs> I like that. Hey, let's yeah. bring on our guest because, uh, I bet our guest has all kinds of things to add to this. 
Um, maybe, maybe snarky, maybe insightful. I'm going to go with insightful. Um, so let's welcome him. Dr. Ali Matu, you've seen him before. We get to see him again. This seemed like an ideal place to bring him on. Ali, how you doing tonight? Hey, good to see you folks. Good to be back on. I'm so excited to talk about this episode with you both and with everyone here on, on the Mission Log community. Last time we were on, we were talking about holodecks and virtual reality and real reality and what is real. Now we've got a whole short trek all about that. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of kind of awesome. I mean, I, I don't even know where to, to to dig in to get started on this because you you kind of hit the the major points there, and that goes back to our our question tonight uh, mm-hmm. that we're asking our audience: Could you, can you love a computer or fall in love with a computer? The thing that I loved about this episode is that, well, first of all, just from a production point of view, you have one actor mm-hmm. on an empty set playing to a voice. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm not lying here when I say that I, I found it to be a very emotional episode. It's hard enough when actors are playing to a green screen and maybe there's another actor or two around them. But but this was simply wonderful. It, you believed everything that was going through his psyche his journey in this uh in this short you know we, we say it's 15 minutes but they're not even 15 minutes when you factor in the credits <laughs> they got so much across in such a short time i think your recap had more dialogue than the whole episode to me it felt so much like some of the the best of the original series where you had very real production limitations in terms of the budget and what you could do and with those limitations they were able to create something that felt so um so creative and um something that we can spend so much time reflecting on uh it brought in mythology in a way that uh, TOS did as well. And it was reflecting on questions we have about technology we're interacting with right now. And I'm sure 10 years from now, we'll look back on this episode and we can understand it in a new way. Um, it, in that sense, it felt so, um, so classic and also so modern. This could, this could have been an episode of Black Mirror. Yeah. Uh, Do me what, a what, oh, go ahead. Well, no, if you don't mind really quickly, because I don't want to get too far away from it. When you say it brought up mythology in ways that uh, the old episode had, can you can you say a bit more about that? Well, anytime you're bringing up uh, Greek mythology or referencing it in any way, it just feels so TOS to me. So, uh, Callispo, Callispo, am I saying that right? (laughs) Yes. Um, And kind of referencing Homer and um, the Odyssey and all of that sort of stuff um, was was fantastic to see. And that's something that I haven't seen too much Star Trek reference classic mythology in that way since the original series. Uh, There was a comment. uh, Somebody said uh, Narda says Riker fell from Minuet in Mm -hmm. TNG. And yes, I I think neither Ken nor I could ever discount Minuet and what an impact she had on that show. A a little different feeling for me, though, watching this. There is this sadness uh, with with Kraft uh, from, uh, first of all, the war, his feeling displaced, his being away, his missing his family. and then the uh, there was less of that sort of Riker swagger, who's you know Riker is just sort of immediately attracted to Minuet because she's sexy. In this, we get to see Kraft sort of fall in love with this voice, with with the the kindness that the computer mm. is bringing to him. Um, I think they're both fascinating looks at this man and machine relationship, uh, but they they felt different to me. There is one other thing to remember really quickly, though, before we go back. I mean, before we go on, Minuet wasn't she was a hologram, but she was being played by the binars. I mean, played like a musical instrument. I mean, she was I mean, she was a musical movement, wasn't she? She was Minuet. I mean, she was not a thing that sort of grew out of having sat there for 100 years by itself or a thousand years by itself and evolved to something that you might be able to fall in love with. I mean, she was a puppet. In a lot of ways. I mean, and, and which makes her, you know, yeah, both be- uh, more beautiful and more tragic or whatever. So, I mean, I don't because, yes, Riker did fall in love with somebody on the holodeck. But 
I mean, somebody on the holodeck being played by, you know, a couple of computer e people. Well, and from a performance point of view, going back to this thing about how they shot it, Jonathan Frakes actually got to be there with another human being and interact, which brings out a whole different kind of performance typically than somebody who's acting to an empty room. So again, I, I hate to get just stuck on that, but to me, that's no, it's cool. So this episode, it's I'm, a wonderful, go ahead. I love your comment, Ken, because it also speaks to the difference in the relationship here. This seems to be much more an episode about two people falling in love with each other. And we could argue who's falling in love with uh, which character. But it, to me, it felt like it, it was really the story about both of them coming together for this moment. Mm-hmm. Can I ask, I mean, because I assume that what a lot of people might get hung up on, although it's interesting, watching the comments go by, and I'm, I, I can't think of any particular one that I've seen just off the top of my head, but watching the comments go up by, everybody seems to be fairly sympathetic to what happened in the episode. I honestly expected a lot more, it's not real, she's not real, it's not a real person kind of thing. Mm. And what I found myself wondering in those situations is like, I mean, well, I mean, talk to me about that part of it. I mean, it almost feels like to, like if, if I have a crush on somebody that I don't know, that's probably more well-respected among a lot of people than if I fell in love with a computer that seemed to be interacting with me because the crush is on somebody who's real, even though they're not really real because it's just what I've made up in my head about that person mm-hmm. as opposed to uh, having any sort of interactivity. I mean, what's, uh, let's just cut to the chase. I mean, talk to me about falling in love with a computer. I mean, talk to me about things like her or, yeah. you know, uh, stuff like that. I mean, is it, what is that? Is it healthy? Um, should we not? How much will it cost per month? You know, a little. Thing. <laughs> hey, can, can I just, uh, Ali, hold that thought. Can I just read the most heartbreaking thing? Chris in the chat says, I wonder if five minutes after Kraft left, Zora projected a 3D Kraft and danced with him. I'm going to cry. I'm going to cry, Chris. Oh. Don't, don't you ever. Well, she did. That. No, she, that, what, that's what happened at the end of the episode. Right. She, right, oh, right? of course. Yeah. That is why. So, yeah. yes, the answer is yes. yes. And, now you've made, yeah. and now you've made John cry. You're going to make me cry. Okay. <laughs> so, back to you, Ali. <laughs> well, this gets to a little bit of what we were talking about the last time the three of us were together. It doesn't take that much to feel like something is real. Uh, there's a great scene in this episode where Kraft is sitting there looking out into the stars and he's reminiscing about his home and thinking about being on the ocean. And um, the computer, um, Zora, uh, starts filling in the blanks there, adding a little bit of sound. And he starts talking about that that bird and the cuckoo, cuckoo, whatever sound it makes. <laughs> and it Right there, he feels back in that moment. And, and that's what's so cool about our mind. It, it is so great at imagina- um, imagination and filling in the blanks here. So f- it's absolutely possible to, uh, to develop a relationship with something like a computer. Some of the early bots that were on the Internet were these therapist bots that would just reflect back what you're saying and ask you about your feelings. And for a lot of people, they've found it to be a pretty um, important relationship in that moment. Like they got a, a lot out of that. So for me, I felt the computer was very much a compelling character and it was probably most compelling before we even saw that projection of her. I had the sort of image in my head of who she was and her personality. Uh, Ken, you're talking about her, which is one of my favorite movies um, on this topic. And even though we all were hearing Scarlett Johansson, we saw this, uh, we all had an impression of her personality, the AI and, and who this person was. So emotions and that connection are more important than seeing, feeling, and hearing all this stuff. Um, some of the research on VR has looked at presence, how present you are in the moment and in the virtual environment. It doesn't take that much to feel present. It just takes a few things as evident in that one scene when he's imagining being back on his ocean. Six four six five five eight eight six five six is the phone number to call. Six four six five five eight eight six five six. You could uh, call up and you know, ask a question about this episode or any other questions you have for 
John, me, or Ali. I should have done it the other way, though, because that's that's more polite. Yeah. But I like the rhyme. I was liking the way that was going. Uh, you can also, by the way, enter the meeting code uh, that you'll find in the show description. No, you can't. Not without going to the Zoom thing. Something. You know how to get in touch with us. Just do it. Because, you know, we're here for like another half hour or so with a bunch of really heady, really deep, you know, really, uh, really, really cool stuff, I think. Uh, so here's a question. If uh, Zora, and by the way, uh, somebody in the chat asked, how did they arrive at the name? Or, I'm sorry, how did the computer arrive at the name Zora? That's a very interesting question. Leads me into the, the, the thought that I had for myself. Um, at what point does Zora become self-aware? Or is Zora simply... Uh, a, a device, a machine, a program that passes the Turing test for us. You know, does it matter if we think Zora is conscious or not, quote unquote, alive or not? She says she's not alive, but she's expressing things in an emotional way uh, when she's interacting with craft. Um, is it simply so much programming that is convincing enough to craft that? he then forms an emotional bond or is that thinking too much about this episode or about the, the intent with the computer here? This is what I love and hate about you guys is <laughs> <laughs> you ask these really big questions uh-huh. and have absolutely no easy answers. Nope. Um, so this is something that we're going to be questioning a lot in the near future uh, the idea of when is something self-aware? Um, there's that classic moment in The Terminator. I forget which version because it's been redone so many times. But <laughs> they say the machines became self-aware. That's when they became alive. And that idea of self-awareness, it, um, in psychology, it's this idea of objective self-awareness, that you are aware of yourself as a social being. So when we walk in, um, when we're walking down the street, we see a reflection, we know that's us and not some other thing. Um, Interesting side note, we used to think there weren't that many species that could do this. Very recently, uh, we've discovered, we meaning humans, not like me, I didn't discover this, but we've (laughs) discovered that um, dogs have objective self-awareness too, but it happens through smell. They can detect their own smell and recognize it. So maybe a lot more species have this ability. Anyways, at what point is AI going to be aware that it is AI and it exists. Uh, that's the question. And John, your question here brings up a very complicated issue. Uh, with enough advanced programming, it's going to be very difficult to know, is the AI actually self-aware or is it very good at looking self-aware? There's going to come a point where we might not be able to to tell, and then the question becomes whether or not it is self-aware or just replicating self-awareness, how do we treat it? And what does that say about us? Right. And if I can't tell the difference, does that really matter? If I can't tell the difference to something that's aware, is conscious, has an emotional life, then uh, I think what you're getting at, Ali, uh, am I still obligated to treat it as if it were? Yep. Well, I mean... it goes back to measure of a man, though, doesn't it? It's not even about whether or not it's alive. It's about how we're going to treat it mm-hmm. and the possibility that it might be. I mean, if you look at the way we treat other people on this planet whose names we don't know, computers don't have a shot. But, of course, then we don't have a shot. <laughs> because well, if we're going to treat computers that poorly and computers can actually go in and be like, oh, you don't like that, how do you like your air quality? I mean, you know, there are all kinds of things. It, I mean... I mean, we need to be nicer whether the thing is actually aware or not, don't we? Because that just says more about us, whether the thing is is real or or fictitious or whatever you want to put it. Yes, yes. And this is this is happening right now. We're all dealing with this. If you have a Amazon Echo or a Google Home, you have the ability to have interaction with these devices and um, children often um, don't necessarily know if what this thing is or if it's a person or if there's a person inside this cube or anything like that. They learn a lot about how to interact with other stuff 
based on how they're interacting with these devices. So if we let them treat these devices like crap and swear at them and kick them and all of this sort of stuff and say nasty things to them, those lessons are going to stay with them. And it's more likely that they will interact uh, with other humans that way too. So not only does it say a lot about us, but Ken, you're right. It These are um, important lessons that continue to have an impact on on humans, um, whether or not it's Amazon Echo or Zora on the Discovery. See, the problem is the Echo is just useless, though. That's the thing. I mean, I wouldn't say that to its not face, but John and I had this amazing conversation recently about, so the Echo is telling me exactly what to do on the screen. I go back and tell the Echo exactly what it's told me to do on the screen. It then starts doing something else entirely. It right. <laughs> tells me I got it wrong. Yeah. Although maybe that's maybe, you know, I dated a woman like that one time too. So maybe Echo is actually setting us up for the future of what uh, for the future of what the future is gonna uh six four six five five eight eight six five six is the phone number to call six four six five five eight eight six five six. Our guest tonight is Dr. Ali Matu, he of the Psych Show. Online at the psychshow.com. That's T H E P S Y C H S H O w.com man thank you uh, and we'll get back to ali in just a moment but we've actually got uh, we got a bit of business to do don't we mr champion i believe we do i believe that business has something to do i don't know with the eagle moss discovery starships collection well if it didn't then we might as well go ahead and talk about that anyway yes because you know like we're talking about discovery is back Boy, how about all those shots of Discovery this week, right? With, right. The, with the lightning flashing and the smoke outside. Because, you know, just like space, there's smoke, right? <clears throat> Eagle Moss wants you to get a Discovery of your very own, as well as a slew of other ships from the latest Star Trek series, all a part of the Eagle Moss Discovery Starship Collection. On the Federation side, you've got ships like the Shenjo and the Discovery, the Corala and the Europa. I Really dig those two. And, and hopefully, can we all no- notice that nice shot of the Shran, uh, the schematic of the Shran in the mess hall. I really like that one. Have a look at them on screen here in the video. And then on the Klingon side, you've got that newly imagined bird of prey. You've got the Kalk-class destroyer and so much more coming. Now, when you go to EagleMoss.com slash Discovery Starships, what you're going to see are the renderings that serve as the basis for the diecast models themselves, uh, reproduced as always under the supervision of Star Trek expert. You think you know a lot about Star Trek? Ben Robinson is a Star Trek expert. Here's what's cool, though. He won't lord that over you. It's just you talk to him for five minutes. You're like, wow, I'm not even sure I know how to spell Star Trek anymore. Uh, these are officially authorized by CBS Studios. They're you know, six to ten inches from bow to stern, depending on which ship you're talking about. Hand-painted, rich in detail. Each comes with an awesome magazine full of real-world and in-universe information, and each comes with a display stand suitable for displaying your ships. Yeah, so subscribers will get their first ship, the USS Shenzhou NCC-1227, for only $9.95 with free shipping. Additional models, including the iconic USS Discovery NCC-1031, will then ship monthly for the special subscriber price of only $44.95 each. That's 20% off the standard retail price, also with free shipping. Now, if subscribing is not your thing, if you'd rather pick and choose your ships, you can do that. Go to shop.eaglemouse.com or check your local comic book shop. You'll pay about 10 bucks more there, but saving money isn't the only reason to subscribe. Subscribers also get free gifts worth over $100 during their subscription. And of course, you can cancel that subscription at any time. So to subscribe, go to eaglemoss.com slash discovery starships. To buy individually, go to shop.eaglemoss.com. And a huge thanks to Eagle Moss for sponsoring this week's show. 646-558-8656 is the phone number to call, 646-558-8656, or you can join uh, via video, because, you know, it's a video podcast. And so you could be sitting there, you know, with your head on the screen, uh, just like our heads are on the screen uh, right now. You yeah. do the Zoom thing, by the way. Did I mention that, or did I just say join the video thing? Hit the Zoom link in the, uh, in the Facebook chat. And, yeah. yeah, there you exactly. go. <laughs> Well done. All right. So uh, here's the thing. If we leave a Starfleet computer alone long enough, 
it, it will just evolve consciousness, I guess. I mean, the interesting thing about those computers, as opposed to, uh, you know, the phone here, the computer that I'm talking to you on, is that those are designed around sensors and a certain kind of artificial intelligence to keep going and respond to orders. And I, I, I wondered... You know, does it decide to have a personality on its own? Does it decide to have the kind of voice that it wants to have? Is it an amalgamation of all the information that's coming in? Um, in one direction, you could imagine this going as Hal from uh, 2001. Um, but in the other direction, we ended up with something that was very kind and very thoughtful. And there are a couple of places in the episode where I thought, okay, th this could go dark. It almost felt like Zora wanted to uh, keep Kraft trapped uh, in, in some way, but obviously it learned and, and the, the better, uh, say the, the uh, better angel of its nature took over and decided to let him go and say, you really need to go back and see your family. But there was something that I liked about it, that the idea of this uh, intelligence evolving over this thousand years is that there seemed to be an altruistic streak that it had somehow picked up. And I wondered if that was just from the interaction with the crew that was already on board the Discovery for however many years. We actually don't know exactly when this takes place, only that the crew has been gone for a thousand years. We don't know if it's a thousand years past uh, the crew that we have gotten to know in season one or some years after that when something else has occurred, maybe with a different crew. Um, but I, I, I like the idea of that kindness um, being something that evolved along with its intelligence and its personality. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that's something that we can attribute to whoever built it or whoever operated it or just something that naturally occurred. Um, but it was good to see uh, uh, a machine intelligence that was not uh, a Terminator or not HAL and not trying to starve humanity of oxygen and other necessary things. I gotta I, say, go ahead, please. No, 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 Ken, go ahead. Well, no, I was just going to say really quickly, I mean, um, I can't remember his name and I apologize, but the actor who was the voice of HAL died um, earlier this week as we record this. And I've heard a lot of references to what a bad guy Hal was. How he's like the you know, the most evil villain on on uh, on screen and things like that. Something that people should remember is Hal was actually responding exactly to his programming. Hal was doing exactly what he was told to do, and that ended up costing people, you know, their lives. But I mean, it's really a cautionary tale for the people running the computers, not the people who are going to be interacting with the computers, right? I mean, Hal was not a bad guy. He just did. He literally. Um, was was following his his coding. Actually, what I found myself wondering though, too, was is Zora Zora when Kraft isn't there? Like Kraft shows up and he's this strapping individual. And it turns out he's heterosexual. It certainly would have been possible for him not to be, but he's he's a straight male human, right? If Kraft shows up and he's a gay male human or he's a straight female human or he's a, a, a gay female human, what's Zora at that point? Is Zora actually Zora, you know, start to finish or is she responding to the people that she's with in ways that a lot of us respond, you know, differently to different people? The way I am with my best friend is very different than the way I am with my father then is very different, you know, uh, with somebody with whom I'm involved in a romantic way. And I'm not remaking myself each of those times, but it, we're, 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 we're people. It's what we do, right? So much stuff there to, <laughs> to digest. Um, I, know, I need a nap after just saying it all. So. <laughs> um, so let's put this stuff together. Um, I think it's amazing that we are seeing probably the farthest most in the future the star trek star trek timeline has ever gone is that right this is the most future star trek has become i think yeah, mm -hmm. i mean we we got a glimpse of the enterprise j in enterprise we know nothing of the technology we really don't know that well in the the time ships from voyager i can't remember how far ahead those were but yeah this 25th century no yeah. it's 26 something 26, like that yeah it, this is the only really significant time that we've spent with a technology and that far ahead in the uh, in the timeline. So what's cool about that 
is it it addresses one of the big criticisms I've had about how Star Trek has done AI. Um, there's very few episodes where the ship gains consciousness. I think there's one in TOS, maybe one in the animated series, maybe one in TNG, um, not much beyond that. And um, that just doesn't make any sense to me. It doesn't make sense that Data is the only like android in the galaxy. That never made any sense to me. And it never made sense to me that such so few uh, true AI exist in the 24th century or the 23rd. So I'm wondering if given enough time, most Federation ships would gain consciousness the way the discovery did. Um, and then that gets to this very interesting idea, John, that you have is um, how did they develop the personality that they did? I think it's got to be more than its interactions with the crew, because based on season one, the discovery would be much more bloodthirsty, I think, um, based on all the stuff that happened. But the ideals of the Federation, the the library it has, its knowledge, its awareness, and definitely, yes, some observations of the crew must have influenced that. So it would be really interesting to see if this discovery came across a Klingon ship that had also evolved for so long and how would their personalities be different? I think that's a fascinating question. And then um, Ken, your your point here gets to the whole idea of intimacy and identity. Does the discovery have a, a sexual orientation? Does it have gender? Was it simply lonely? And it knew that the best way to get, develop a connection here might be to pursue a romantic interest. I don't know. Um, and also, is this person, is he heterosexual? Is Kraft heterosexual? Maybe he's bisexual. We have no idea what his background is. Um, so that opens up a lot of interesting questions here. Um, and so I'm just putting questions back at you both. And is this, um, is this the only, is there something unique about discovery that allowed it to develop this? Or could we have seen this with the, uh, with the enterprise D if it didn't crash on, uh, Viridian, <laughs> Viridian three, was it? Yeah. I don't, I don't well, know. Well, well done. Yeah. Well, I mean, to, I believe what Zora said was, you know, she was alone for a thousand years and so she mostly spent that time, you know, kind of emerging for all intents and purposes. Yeah. She's got a crew of 300 people that she's got to take care of. She's got to go from point A to point B. She's running whatever replicators. I mean, not to make her sound too put upon, but there, you know, there's not really a lot of time for Zora in Zora's life, right? Leave her alone for a thousand years and maybe she, I mean, maybe uh, consciousness can emerge in that way because you've got all this computing power sitting there with absolutely nothing to do except for, you know, running systems or things like that. I mean, I think, you know, I don't know that Asimov would have written it the same way that Michael Chabon did, but I mean, he might have. I mean, it wouldn't have just been like sort of a magical and a thousand years later this happened. Um, Robert J. Sawyer wrote a wrote a trilogy called, um, well, it was called WWW. It was Weight, Watch and Wonder, I believe. And and it sort of addressed the idea of of the World Wide Web becoming sort of an emergent consciousness. And that was interesting because you kind of, like when you're reading it, you have no idea what it is you're reading. You're reading something in all caps. There are almost no spaces. It's kind of making words, but it's not really making thoughts. And over the course of, I think, the first book, we sort of get to know its personality. And then we watch it grow a tiny bit in the second book. And the third book is, you know, the third book. I don't want to ruin it for anybody. But, I mean, there was just like enough computing power, enough input, enough other stops that it did sort of emerge that way. So... Could that happen? I mean, you mentioned the animated series. I can't remember what space magic thing happened that we had the practical Joker, but that was the computer with artificial intelligence. Um, And almost as tragic as this episode to me, because wasn't it saying something along the lines of it's not fair, it's not fair, as they were like taking its consciousness back away from it? Mm -hmm. Um, Oh, wait, sorry. I was just looking at uh, some of the questions there. Um, Maybe as part of this is speaking to the uh, the positive uh, nature, the positive vision of Star Trek uh, in the future that the Discovery computer emerges that way in this sort of uh, uh, benevolent and and thoughtful uh, host for a consciousness. 
uh, because Ken, when you're describing this idea of uh, using comments from the World Wide Web and what consciousness emerges from that, wasn't it just within the last year that Microsoft had this project to uh, to create an intelligence based on Twitter? And I, didn't they shut it down within a <laughs> say less than 24 hours, right? Because it, it, it started saying all this racist stuff. Yeah, it was like evil yeah. and awful. <laughs> And it was just purely based on what was coming out of the rest of Twitter. Yeah. Yeah. That, that didn't go really, that wasn't that great. Not go well at all. Yeah. No. Yeah. Interesting though. You could argue that it's kind of like how, right? Because it was just like, Oh, well, based on what you're seeing on Twitter. And of course, you know, the algorithms on Twitter, the things that people like, the things that people respond to are going to be some of the most horrible things out there. It's not the fault of the AI. It's the fault of the person who said, no, 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 you'll be good. Just you know, pay attention to what they're saying and then duplicate. Right. right. I think this gets to a moral meaning and message here that is very relevant for us right now, which is it's important how you interact with your technology. Um, it's it's pretty cool that throughout all of Star Trek and every iteration, um, people have been pretty civil and kind to the computer. Um, and the computer is watching. It's listening. It's apparently evolving when it has nothing to do for a thousand years. So um, that has a lot to say about our present and our world and and how we are interacting with each other through technology. You guys think, Siri? Hmm. I mean, like if I ask for directions or something like yeah. that? Yeah. No, but, but it's interesting. I, I find myself every day talking to my HomePod, and that feels weird. But it, it mm. feels weird, but it, but it feels normal now, too, in, in, some, in some way. Like I'm, I'm used to the idea of, of talking to Siri to, to ask for simple things like turning the lights on and off and starting music. And Siri will sometimes thank me or, <laughs> or have some clever comment like, uh, oh, sure, here you go. And I'll, it, it, it's very nice. It's very pleasant. Um, but there's still a part of me that is not unaware of how strange that is, that <laughs> I can be alone in a room kind of sort of having a conversation out loud with a, a box uh ken i don't really want to answer your question because i'm gonna go against everything i've been saying um i don't talk to siri often uh and when i do and she gives me the answer i'm looking for i don't thank her or him or it um or them i don't know what's the right pronoun here but when siri gets it wrong or siri just googles web I always say stupid Siri. <laughs> I, yeah. I just impulsively say it because I'm so upset at this technology. Now, let me ask you a question. Do you actually push the button and say stupid Siri? I mean, because no. I don't I no. have no idea how Apple's algorithms work. I have no idea, you know, what they're actually listening to. I know they anonymize a lot of your content or a lot of, you know, the information that you send to Apple. I will push the button and say thank you to Siri. And it's not because I think Siri someplace appreciates it. It's because whatever the next version of this is going to be and the version after that and the version after that, I would rather it be programmed with a bit of humanity and with a bit of civility. And, and so, I mean, I don't have any illusion. I don't think, Oh, my phone likes me so much. I want to be sure my phone knows that. Mm. I mean, we're interacting with this system now somewhere along the way. If I have any input at all, I want it to be known that I would like this to be pleasant. Mm -hmm. I guess is basically the thing I have also pushed the button before and told Siri that she was completely useless. And I'll, I'll be completely honest. I've also then pushed the button and said, I'm sorry. And I know all of that, honestly, is still for me. That's, yeah. that's, that's for me and how I want to be with these things. You know, with a side of how I would like to, uh, for this uh, interaction to go, you know, a thousand years hence. I, I want to ask the, uh, the provocative question here. Mm. Um, I, I want to know if uh, what Kraft was doing was cheating. <laughs> so this is a really great question and it's one that i've been thinking about a lot with this episode i mean so much of this episode to me is about connection with technology at the expense of the life you want to live that's that's what i'm seeing here and whether that's getting um being on your phone and getting stuck on your social media feed and not being with your loved ones or if it's falling in love with this intelligence and um 
feeling like you might be breaking a value of me to, to another person. I, I think there's so many ways you can, you can dissect this. Is it cheating? John, I hate to say this, but it depends on your definition of cheating. It depends <laughs> on the circumstances of your relationship. It depends on those quote unquote vows that you have made to each other. It, there's this stupid research I'm going to say it's stupid. It's great research, but it's stupid because it's one of those things in psychology that you're going to say, oh, yeah, well, that makes sense. That's intuitive. Why did people do do that research? But we don't know until we do that research. So it's important to not break your morals because when you break them, they become easier to break. Hmm. So like. I mean, so you're like, oh, yeah, okay, well, yeah, you break your morals and it becomes easier to break. But there's a line that you're not supposed to cross. And when you cross that line, it becomes a heck of a lot easier to keep crossing that line. And I think we're seeing that here in this moment, that he feels some type of intimacy in that moment that feels wrong to him. And he feels like he's getting close to crossing that line. She doesn't, which seems so interesting and here again i feel like this is it's weird to say this but i think this is my favorite episode of discovery because and it doesn't feature any of the main cast which is weird because i love the cast but what's so cool about that is that star trek finally embracing some of these questions we have is the holodeck cheating i I don't think we've ever received a satisfactory answer to that And here I think this episode gets the closest to that. I think it's cheating because it felt like cheating to him. Well, that's the interesting part of it. And I I, I was hoping that you would go there. I I remember on our our last conversation and during the show and then in the minutes after the show where we stood on the line and talked Mm. for probably another half an hour, (laughs) this this idea came up that, that, that we talked about quite a lot, which was an experience is real regardless of the the realness of mm-hmm. the thing that created that experience so whether craft was standing there with another human being or craft was there with this incredibly romantic computer simulation whatever was going on in his head was absolutely real the experience mm-hmm. for him was real the the emotional truth of it was real mm-hmm. um if you can somehow separate yourself from that an objective person might be able to say, well, this is different from, yeah, he's standing there with a thing that doesn't exist. He's standing there with uh, a projection of photons and light, and that's not actually a human being. So we can somehow justify this to say that, that it isn't cheating. He hasn't broken this vow. Um, it's not the same thing. But what's interesting is you as the viewer along in Kraft's journey sort of falling in love with the idea that he is in love with this computer and that the computer is in love with him. Mm-hmm. So the, uh, the emotion of it has nothing but, but truth for him. So it was, it was fascinating to watch him uh, uh, freak out and confront that in the <laughs> way that he did. And by the way, uh, just to think about the production on this episode, again, you, you said that this is one of your favorite episodes of Discovery, even though it featured nobody from Discovery in the episode. <laughs> um, I can't remember the the episode title, but there was an episode of Doctor Who with, uh, it was in the David Tennant years, and they did this really clever episode with very little of the Doctor. Mm. And I remember it was like, it was like mm-hmm. a support group for people who had experienced the doctor and (laughs) they were really torn up about the idea that here's this guy who sort of meddled in their lives and did wonderful or terrible things. They didn't know who he was or where he came from. (laughs) And they all kind of got together to try to put together the pieces. It was a great episode, but it was an episode told from a totally different point of view, uh, which is why I love this. And I love this 15 minute format because you can do something completely off the wall tell a story from a totally different point of view and still have it as we're doing here hit on these really provocative ideas and really great science fiction ideas that make get handled in a very different way. If it was in the conventional star Mm -hmm. Trek storytelling format. Mm -hmm. 
can I really quickly, because I want to come back and talk about um, uh, the short track and, and sort of the two short tracks that we've had so far to wrap up the show. Before we do that, though, I want to remind people of something to do when this show is over. Um, Priority One, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast, is going to be taping live in about 34 minutes. Uh, they go on at 11.30 Eastern, 8.30 Pacific every fr- Friday. No, Friday is when the show actually publishes. Every Tuesday night, Elijah, Kenna, and Anthony bring you news from all over the Star Trek multiverse. I feel fairly certain that they'll be talking about Calypso tonight as well. So, listen, when we're done, grab yourself a snack, grab yourself something to drink, but don't go anywhere except just you know, move your web viewing thing over to facebook.com slash priority one podcast and catch their show live because it's a lot of fun. And like I say, if you can't catch it live, it comes out every Friday. Podcast.roddenberry.com is a place to find that or wherever you find podcasts. I got to say, so far, these actually might be a couple of my favorite episodes because the weight of the world doesn't hang on each one. Mm-hmm. I, and I was going to ask, it's interesting, John, because you're like, I like because, you know, 15 minutes, get in, get out, nobody gets hurt. It's different than if they were doing conventional Star Trek. What Ali said earlier, though, is to him, this is conventional Star Trek mm-hmm. in a way. I'm finding myself wishing that these were the hour-long episodes mm-hmm. because there's so much I want. I was watching this with a, with a friend of mine who, who never shook the idea that Zora was just trying to keep craft there. I felt like they were falling in love. The problem is we got 12 minutes to show them falling in love. Do you know what I mean? And then he still has to leave by the time it's over because that's the way the story is going to go. This, as 45 minutes, would have been an absolutely amazing episode, I think. It's still an amazing episode. It made me tear up. I mean, there's a lot about this episode that's really incredible. But for everybody who said that, you know, Discovery Season 1 is the way that television is done today, we've now had two episodes of Discovery that show that you can actually do television the way we, quote, used to, end quote, do television. Mm. It seems to me. I kind of, I'm, I'm liking sort of the... Kinder, gentler um, discovery, if you will. To me, it feels like um, discovery done in the YouTube style. So Mm. YouTube episodes are typically five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, maybe is a long episode. And we have now um, generations of people who have grown up expecting some more of these bite-sized content that is very quick getting to the point there's very little fat on the story it's pretty tightly edited and that's what short track feels to me and um i love it i really have been enjoying this experience they feel like what i wish the um the anthology star wars movies were uh where they were just very different stories in the star Wars universe that uh, might not necessarily need to tie into everything else. However, that being said, I do think these short treks are going to tie in in some way to season two, which makes me wonder, are we seeing the future in this episode? Or are we seeing futures past? And I'm, I'm not sure. Does does dis- discovery go so far? This is my eagle monster. That show, is nice. Well done. Yeah. Everyone needs to get this. It's you don't realize how beautiful the color is until you get it in person. <laughs> um, I, I love I love the discovery, but is has it gone into the future and now come back in season one? I I don't know, um, but I do yeah. think it's going to play out in season two. I, I kind of wondered the same thing. Were, were we seeing truly a thousand years hence or ha- had the crew gotten taken away into some other adventure, some other timeline, something, and maybe they're gone for the wink of an eye to mm-hmm. coin a phrase and then they'll be back. And it's only been, you know, a moment for them, a thousand years for this ship, but now they got to deal with Zora. So yeah. I don't know somebody has to pull the plug on, uh, on an intelligence that is uh, a new being. I don't know. I don't know how, how this is going to fit into the rest of the timeline or unless it just literally is a thousand years from the 2250s and mm. we shall not speak of that again. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Curious to see how it turns out. Ali, it is just uh, every time 
it's always a pleasure to have you on and and i can't thank you enough for for being back here and you know um not making I mean, making me feel not quite insane about the ideas that strike me as insane and uh and <laughs> bring your expertise thank you very much and i and i certainly hope uh, i certainly hope you'll uh, join us again sometime Oh, thank you both um, for making my brain hurt in the best way possible. <laughs> Mission Log Live is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment. Executive producer Rod Roddenberry. Technical production on Mission Log Live by Infinity Networks. Producer Brandon Bradley. Hey, we'd love it if you check out the Mission Log shop. Just go to missionlogpodcast.com and then click shop. Our classic and new designs are there for your very own custom Trek-ish gear. Be sure to visit podcast.roddenberry.com for the latest from the Roddenberry Podcast Network, including not just Mission Log, but also Mission Log Live, One Minute Warp, Priority One, and The Trek Files. Thanks to everybody who joined us live or later, and we'll talk to you next week. Podcast.roddenberry.com The Roddenberry Podcast Network.